Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always, and it's a Monday. And before we dive into the show, we're going to break down a bunch of spring football. We've got a ton of information from Oregon's new defensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter. We've also got a ton of information on Oregon's offensive line from offensive line coach Alex Mirabal. Uh, we're going to discuss all of that here on the show. But first, I want to remind you guys, you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter. That inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. You get to read all the content across the entire 24-7 Sports Network, and you get access to Oregon Duck insiders like myself, Eric, Kevin Wade, our other large group of national writers and regional writers within the 24-7 Sports Network. I also want to encourage you guys to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher or or Spotify or Google Podcasts, whatever you use, uh, platform you use to listen to the show. Make sure you follow us there. Click the follow button. Uh, It's a free option. It, it, It has no monetary impact on your wallet but it helps us as well and also give us a review if you if you could do that as well that helps okay eric um where do we want to start because i think both interviews sessions with tim deruder oregon's new defensive coordinator alex mirabal oregon's offensive line coach both of them were very long both of them were very in-depth and we gleaned a ton of information so i'm gonna choose your own adventure podcast here where Ooh. do you want to start? Uh, do we want to go with the new coach, Tim DeRuiter, or do we want to go with the maybe the most talented position group in the, on the team, the offensive line? I'll take Alex Mirabal so we can those listening can turn to page thirty five in their in their <laughs> adventure books at home. <laughs> By the way, those are so fun. I love those things. Uh, those those adventure books, choose your own adventure books. Growing up, those are those are a blast. So good call on that. I, I wanted to start on the offensive line because I, I thought. Well, for, for first, I, I, if you haven't watched Alex Mirabal's interview, we have it on DuckTerritory.com. Um, it's about 22 minutes long, and he takes probably like maybe five to six questions, and each question is like five minutes. Um, very, yeah, really very in-depth. In yeah, pro- probably my favorite assistant coach at this point to talk with, too, just because he's very upfront and he's very direct, and he will kind of get into some of the fun stuff, especially this time of year. And so like, I, I, what I wanted to start with and what I thought was the most interesting is that I, I think he – basically gave us the offensive line too deep right now. And because we're not at practice um, and won't be at practice, if we don't get a watch, I found this to be kind of fascinating to kind of where, where everything is at here. Um, we know Big Saul is not practicing, so he, I'm not including him in the too deep. But based upon what he said, and I think he was pretty detailed, he didn't come out and say, here's our organizational too deep, but he basically said, this is the you know the starting five was the five it was last year with Jones at right tackle and then the second team is uh, are, are as follows here so I, I think we've got a pretty good idea of what the two deep looks like on the offensive line right now so this is the way it sounds like it is based upon what he said and then we can kind of discuss a little bit of that after and, and then a couple other comments he he made that I thought were interesting but it sounds like so it's George Moore at left tackle with the first team. And the rest of this is basically the same. TJ Bass, left guard, Forsyth center, Ryan Rock, right guard, and Stephen Jones, right tackle. Where things get interesting is the second unit here. And he had a lot to say about these guys because, frankly, he was asked a lot. Kingsley Sumatia, the true freshman, with the second team offensive line at left tackle. And then a couple of, a handful of guys that are very much younger players who 
we haven't really seen yet, that, but that have been in the program at least one year, uh, complete the second unit with Matthew Harper, Jonathan Dennis, Logan Sagapalu, and Dawson Yarmillo. Um, Harper left guard, Dennis center, Sagapalu at right guard, and Yerilimo, um at right tackle. So there, there's your top 10 offensive linemen. And why I think this is notable is he went on to say that he believes basically that entire group of five could help Oregon win games now. Uh, he says many of those players would start on multiple Pac-12 teams. Um, he talked about the development that they've had at those positions where last year, because of depth and because of lack of experience, everybody's kind of cross-training. They were trying to figure out which guys fit where best. This spring, all of those guys are playing those spots and those spots only, and they're really trying to develop those positions um, so that if there is a situation uh, where a player goes down in a game, they would be able to rely and turn it over to one of those players. I mean, here's a quote uh, he made. He said, the progress a guy like Logan Sagapalu has made right now, you can go in the Pac-12 with him and win right now. You can win with Harper, you can win with JD, and you can win with Urilamo. I'm telling you, you can win. They'd start for a lot of Pac-12 schools right now. Those guys are coming. We're able to put them at one spot and let them go and compete and get better. So I think what you're seeing here, at least, is kind of the skeleton for what the future offensive line might look like. Because yep. remember, um, you know, this won't impact things too much in 2021, possibly. But after 2021, players like George Moore and TJ Bass and Alex Forsyth and Ryan Walk and even Malasala could decide they want to go pro. Even Stephen Jones, they could decide they want to go pro or, 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 or just move on from college football because – this is George Moore's seventh year in college football. This is Alex Forsythe, I think his fourth or his fifth. Um, these are guys who've been this in the program. Fifth. His fifth. Yeah, there you go. And Ryan Walk, I think, came in the same year. So yeah. these guys have been in the program a very long time. How much longer do they want to keep playing? So having an idea of kind of what the skeleton of the future offensive line might look like, I think is pretty interesting. Um, Matt, anything there that surprised you? Because I think the fact that Kingsley Suomatia starts as the second team left tackle from the beginning of spring ball is a pretty encouraging sign. And again, uh, you know, we've got more comment here from Mirabal on, on Kingsley at, at left tackle. But again, I think something that you suggested first, and I've kind of gotten on the bandwagon with, is that Kingsley might be their starting left tackle to start the season. And the yeah. fact that he's already close, I think is pretty encouraging for that. I I think it's very telling that he cracks the two deep day one, essentially. And look, it, it's we're recording this podcast on April 5th and he's already in the two deep and he's performing well. And Mirabal has already gone record on record saying that he thinks he will be a guy that in three years will be gearing up for his pro day and be going off as a first round draft pick from the program. Um, I think that's pretty telling. Right. And it, it, it's going to take a a Herculean effort, I think to, to keep him out of the starting lineup at some point during the 2021 football season. I am on record saying, I think he's opening day starter. Um, But I, I think it's, I will be completely blown away if he isn't a starter at some point in the year for Oregon at, at left tackle. Um, it just feels like that's, it, it's just like, it's something like you see a train coming far in the distance, you know, eventually it's going to get here. You just don't know when. 
And that's kind of what I feel like with Kingsley. I'm on record saying he's going to be day one. It could be week two. It could be week three. It could be week seven. But I think he's going to end the year as the starting left tackle uh, for Oregon. And he's already drawing rave uh, reviews from his positional coach. Um, I, I do think it's also interesting that Mirabal was very persistent on the talent that they have at center behind yeah. Forsyth. Um, and he went through the the guys and said that last year Forsyth got hurt. They had no, they had no concerns whatsoever of sliding Ryan walk over to the center position and having him play that role and doing a very good job in that position. That being said, now walk is still on the team. I mean, he's still a projected starter, but Mirabal was very adamant about redshirt freshman, or I guess true freshman because he, he gets the redshirt year preserved. And second, second year freshman, I guess. Yeah, second year freshman, Jonathan Dennis, and saying that if if Forsyth were to go down, he would step right in and be ready to go. And he was he was one of the guys that Mirabal said that if he was on another team in the in the conference, he'd probably be starting right now. And yeah. And look, like it, there's going to be some coach speaking that like every coach is going to back his guys and every coach is going to, every coach is going to hype up his guys. And I, I, so I think you have to take that into consideration, but at the same time, like this is a guy that was getting first team reps in the first couple of spring practices last year as a true freshman. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the entire practice, but he was being thrown in with the first team O line during spring ball last year uh, for some limited reps. So, I mean, I, I'm interesting, interested to see how that plays out. Like I don't foresee Forsyth's job ever being up in, for, in jeopardy. Like no. I don't ever see him having to fight for his job, but it's going to be interesting to see Forsyth. And then what happens behind him? Is it Jonathan Dennis or is it true freshman Jackson light? Um, do, do they choose to, to move Ryan walkover? I do think, that's interesting. And then one guy that like, I don't know if he's necessarily like a wild card or um, just maybe just a, a an unknown that could really turn into something if given an opportunity, you know, but Dawson Jaramillo, you know, mm-hmm. he, he Mirabal said like he's holding himself to it. He's making a rule that he doesn't move Dawson Jaramillo around during spring ball and is just playing him at right tackle and hoping that he, he sticks to his own word and doesn't move him around because in his first three years with the Ducks, he's been all over the place. And he hasn't really had a position and, and had an offseason where he goes in knowing this is my position, I'm not moving. And this is a former four-star recruit, a guy you know early on in his recruiting period coming out of Lake Oswego was a five-star. Um, and so like th- there's a ton of potential there. And he, Mirabal himself even said that he needs to stick Jaramillo in one spot and let him develop. And maybe this offseason, that's what happens. Yeah. And I think a couple more things I'll add to Kingsley talk and then follow up on a couple of things you just said. I found it encouraging and interesting as well that Mirabal said George Moore and Stephen Jones were helping Kingsley Sumatia get acclimated to playing at this level more than anybody else. And that's, of course, really encouraging. Those are players who are in direct competition 
with Kingsley for playing time. And George Moore is the returning starter at left tackle. Stephen Jones was the primary fill-in at left tackle when George Moore was not on the field. Those guys kind of rotated. George Moore then played right tackle. They moved around a little bit. Uh, Mirabal likened it to like a big brother, little brother relationship. The other three freshmen who are on campus, obviously Kingsley's the big one. Jackson Light, we know where he's playing. He's playing center. He's a full-time center. I think there's going to be a really interesting position battle at some point between Light and Jonathan Dennis for that center spot. Obviously, that doesn't factor into 2021. Alex Forsyth is that player. But if Forsyth graduates and then in 2022, I think we're going to be having conversations about, boy, is it going to be Jackson Light, the number one rated center prospect, the highest rated center recruit Oregon's ever landed? Um, or is it going to be Jonathan Dennis, who have a year of more of experience, but from everything we've heard has really, really turned some heads, um, as we've just talked about. Um, and then the other two, Bram Walden is playing right tackle, and Jonah Miller, who's enrolled more uh, recently. The other three all – or the other two – yeah, other three, I should say, because you include Kingsley. They all enrolled in January. Jonah just enrolled right before spring ball. He is playing left tackle along with Kingsley. So there's kind of the breakdown of where the true freshmen are at. Obviously, this is the best – collection of offensive line talent Oregon has ever landed. Um, they get all four of them on campus for spring. And, you know, Kingsley's obviously the one who has the best chance to play right away. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the other three progress. And if we hear of them maybe pushing to be in the two deep, um, is that possible? Could Bram Walden push Dawson Jerome at right tackle? Could Jonah Miller, you know, could he push his way at least into the conversation at left? And like we said, could, what about Jackson Light and Jonathan Dennis? And then one other thought here on Kingsley, and I asked the question, or I don't even think I got the question out. I just started started basically the lead into my question, which was, is it fair to compare Kingsley Suomatia to Penny Sewell? Um, and there are reasons why this is a kind of an apt comparison, right? I mean, both players come from the state of Utah. They're very, very close family friends, kind of a, you know, older brother, younger brother, mentee-mentor relationship between Penne and Kingsley. Um, Kingsley is the highest-rate offensive line recruit Oregon's ever landed. Penne's number two. Both of them are left tackles. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to know how similar they are. Is it fair to compare them? And, and, and Mirabal was very, very adamant that it, that's not a fair comparison. Um, you know, and that really the goal is for Kingsley to become the best version of himself, but that he doesn't need to like replicate or follow in the footsteps of, of his, you know, big brother, quote unquote, in Penne. So I thought that was sort of interesting. He did think big picture um, that Kingsley, as Matt suggested a second ago or mentioned a second ago, in three years from now, we'll be having his own pro day and that he believes he'll be a first round pick as well. So there is um, obviously really high expectations with Kingsley, but I, I just found it interesting that, you know, the comparison between Kingsley and Penne are, are, are going to be ones that, you know, depending on how these careers, you know, well, I guess depending on how Kingsley's career takes off, because Penne has already established himself at Oregon. Um, these guys are going to be discussed a lot throughout, you know, Kingsley's career. I think it's interesting or at least notable that the position coach who coached both of them is kind of like, hey, let's pump the brakes here. Let's let Kingsley kind of develop in his own right and see what happens. He, he did mention that, you know, Kingsley's pretty lean. He comes in around 305, whereas Sewell came in like 370 and had to cut weight. So a little bit of a difference between those two players. Um, one other just element from the offensive line that I wanted to get to before we jump over to talking about Tim DeRuiter and some of the defensive stuff. Um, this was one of the question marks we had coming into spring was, will the Ducks continue to employ that kind of musical cha chairs or pl platoon rotations here where they go, 
okay, you're going to start the game with these five guys, but hey, Stephen Jones is going to get inserted at left tackle at some point, and then we're going to reshuffle. And then Jones is going to come out, and then we'll reshuffle again. I mean, last year they basically played six guys pretty even snaps. Um, will that continue? And here's what Alex Mirabal said of that. He said, myself, Coach Cristobal, and Coach Moorhead thought those six guys deserved the opportunity to play. That doesn't mean we're going to do that again in 2021. I mean, we didn't do that in 2019. We did a little bit with Warmack and Aiello, but it was different this past year. Whether or not that continues or not, that remains to be seen. Whether there's five guys and you ride with those five or there's six or what have you. Um, and Mirabal went on to say that it's basically dependent upon anybody outside of that top five to prove that they are even or equal to those guys and that they can be quote unquote interchangeable and that the offensive mm -hmm. line stays the same when they're on the field. So um, I think one of the things we wondered was, Hey, what's the longevity of doing this, of rotating between six guys, seven guys on the offensive line playing a lot of different bodies. And it's pretty clear that they're not closed off to that concept, Matt, but I think it's also pretty clear that they are open to the possibility of like, hey, if there's just five guys that have kind of proven themselves as being clearly the five guys, we'll go with those five guys. And, and I will say it's interesting that it's interesting that, that, it, it, that you almost lean towards finding and – the, and the way he said they were going to do this was basically you find your best five, you find your second best five, you find your third best five. And if there are guys in that second best five unit that are deserving to be kind of intermingled or kind of exchange, inter, you know, interchangeable with the top five, then you play them. But if not, you don't. I just think it's kind of interesting that you have that outlet going into a spring where you bring back all six guys that were part of that rotation. So a guy like a Stephen Jones, who was part of that rotation last year, it sounds like couldn't and you know was the was kind of the odd man out and that he didn't start any of the games, could find himself you know kind of in a strange spot this year where he played a lot last year but maybe he doesn't play much this year um like i, I do yeah, think, what, what are your thoughts go ahead i do think um i don't think they'll ever admit this but i think covid factored into oregon's decision to rotate the way that they did along the offensive line because in 2017 when when crystal ball was the offensive line coach and an offensive co-offensive coordinator in 2018, when he was the head coach, in 2019, when he was the head coach, they did not rotate guys. The only time that they rotated a player into the lineup was because of an injury or if because some guy was just absolutely gassed. And they basically stuck with their five, and they didn't change positions among that five. And in 2020 – they rotated six guys in, in and out of the offensive line. And it wasn't just, okay, player A is going off the field. Player B is replacing him in that position group. It was, okay, player A is coming off. Player B is going to player C spot. Player C is going to player D spot. And player D is going to player A spot. Like it was a wholesale change. And it was like every two possessions or every three possessions. And yep. I really wonder if that was because of COVID. Hey, we want to cross train everybody. We want to get everyone reps so they know what it's like playing at that spot. We might take a dip in production, but it's going to be minimal. But we want to be prepared in case one of these six guys 
is gone for COVID reasons and we have to still play. And a guy now all of a sudden has to play a different position. I really think that's what led to that. And because Mirabel now was like, hey, we're playing the five. If a sixth guy earns the right to play, we'll get there. But like, I don't know. I, I it, It's, I, I am expecting them to play five and a sixth, maybe a seventh guy gets into the, into the game because of injuries and injuries only. Well, Which is going to be, it's going to create a huge, you know, rise in competition. One last stop, yeah. Before we jump over to defense, is just that thought: is how do how does what's this what's our, what's our predicted shakeout? I know it's way too early to, to do this, but let's just it's a sports podcast talking about Oregon football. Sure. If there's any place to have this conversation, it's here. Do we still think? Okay, so let's say let's say we think Kingsley's going to be the starting left tackle. We have Malasala penciled in probably at starting right tackle, but the question there is his health. I think he moves inside. So if he moves inside to right guard, and I probably lean with this too, just because I think you have more talent at tackle than you do at guard. Then you probably have Steven Jones at right tackle and Ryan, Walk, Ryan Walks coming off the bench. Is that is that what you're projecting? Uh, well, actually, this is, this is how I project it. Um, Kingsley at left, Malasala at left guard. Oh. And then you have um, Alex Forsyth at center. You have Steven Jones at right tackle. And you have George Moore as your right – or Stephen Jones at right guard, George Moore at right tackle. So you're moving both ta- – two tackles inside the guard and both Bass and Walk are, are coming off the bench. I forgot about Bass. Right? It's tough. I mean, this is where it gets difficult is Bass played a lot and I thought performed pretty well at left guard. And I, I would probably – I would probably pull – I would probably have Bass – okay, that was a – Total brain fart. Um, I would probably have Bass at left guard, Malasala at right guard, and Stephen Jones at right tackle, and I would have George Moore off the bench. Yeah, I, I that's exactly where my head's at. Assuming health of everybody is equal, is is Forsyth is your center, and you probably move Sala in because he was pretty good at right guard last year, and that allows you to then have one of those veteran tackles resume a big role at, at right tackle. And I think the fact that Steven Jones is getting the entire spring now at right tackle um, to kind of develop that position, because he was playing left tackle all of last season. I think that gives him an adv- the opportunity um, to, de- to, to develop there and, and get prepared for that possibility this season. I think it's really fascinating. And, and it's part of the reason I want to start here is that like you bring back six guys, but then you throw in Kingsley. Now you've got legit seven guys that I think could start and, and then you talk to Alex Mirabal and there's like three other young guys that they think are, are capable and I don't think you know I don't think the group of Harper Dennis Urillamo and Sagapal I don't think they're legitimately saying those guys are going to like beat out guys who started last year for positions and maybe they will but um, but like th- this is a really deep offensive line group and it's a position group that really as we've said a couple times wasn't like super impressive at times last year I think kind of underwhelming overall but the upside here feels tremendous in terms of the, the caliber players they have and the, now the experience and the ability to play guys different spots. I think it's going to be a really fun group to see how it shakes out. And again, we won't have a total clear picture. We won't have total clarity until we know what's going on with Big Sala and kind of where he fits into this whole pit puzzle. And he's not practicing the spring because of the injury he suffered. But again, I think you're starting to see kind of the skeleton of how this might play out and Again, we're not at practice, but it would be interesting to see how quickly does that Kingsley Sumatia start getting a little bit of first team reps. Does yeah. he start towards the end of fall, spring spring ball? You know, 
does he start kind of getting, you know, you know, sort of swapping days with George Moore at left tackle? And if that starts happening, I think that's a pretty clear indication for, for where that's, that's headed. And I think we already kind of, every kind of, everybody kind of, you know, it's, it's sort of similar to maybe quarterback. And it's probably, this is, this is probably unfair because I think Anthony Brown is probably a little bit further ahead than a George Moore in terms of like holding down the spot. But like everybody kind of assumes that eventually Kingsley and Ty Thompson are going to, are going to be the starters over a couple veteran guys. And it's just kind of when, not if. And I actually would probably say I feel more confident that Kingsley is a starter sometime in 2021 than Ty Thompson. Let's, uh, let's shift over to the defensive side of the football. Tim DeRuder, Oregon's defensive coordinator. He spoke with the media, I think for the first time, um, Second, he spoke one time in right after he was hired. And correct, out. that's correct. Um, DeRuder takes over for Andy Avalos and came from California, a team that's quite honestly had like a ton of success against Oregon defensively um, the last couple of years. So I think that's if you're Oregon, you're looking at this thinking, wow, like. You know, we're getting a, a pretty established coach, a guy that knows his chops, that's had success against Oregon, and now has the responsibility of kind of retooling, refining, uh, and pushing the standard for this Oregon defense. And one thing I thought was interesting is that he had a lot of respect for what Andy Avalos did the last two seasons at Oregon and isn't necessarily going to change everything. There's not like a complete overhaul with terminology and scheme because of the success and and how things are set up. I think part of that's because of his own defense is similar. And I think it's also part of it. It's like, hey, like, I understand what they were doing. I know what they were doing. It, it works. It fits what the personnel that we have. We're going to make some changes, but we're also going to keep some things the same. Yeah, I think it's been really telling that this isn't like it does. It, you don't get the sense that we're going to see a defense that's just drastically different than the one we've seen the past couple of years. And in fact, my guess is that this feels pretty similar um, for those watching, especially the casual fan, um, is that you're not watching it going like, oh boy, this is really different. Like, oh my gosh, they have all sorts of different kind of, you know, sis, you know personnel groupings look weird. Like, uh, what's going on here? I, I think it's going to look pretty similar. And I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that it's going to be identical. I don't think it will be. I think one of the things that stood out from, you know, from Saturday with Deruder was how much they want to kind of have players be versatile and play different roles and move players around. And he talked about guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and Mace Funa are going to be players that are going to be standing, but then also in their hand, you know, with the hand down a little bit. Um, a guy like Noah Sewell, he said, um, you know, is, is a player who obviously is a really good inside linebacker, but at times, you know, they want to have him kind of get up on the line of scrimmage and, and come off the edge as a pass rusher. Um, you know, you, you look in the secondary, and I think there's going to be guys that are given opportunities to move around a little bit there as well. So I, I think the thing you're going to see, I think, that maybe is a little different is just I think they're going to employ some of these players a little more creatively. And, you know, he's talked about, you know, some of the strengths of this defense is, is the you know, they've got – Thibodeau and, and Funa off the edge, that's a strength. He thinks they're really good on inside linebackers. He thinks the athleticism and, um, and speed and length at corner really has caught his eye. Um, and so I, I, like, I, I look at this defense and think we're going to be 
you know, like when you do have a new coordinator, whether it's offense or defense, you kind of expect there to be a, a bit of a period of time where they're, where you're kind of struggling and kind of figuring out how everything works. And my, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure there's going to be a little of that, but I think we're going to see them kind of hit the gr- hit the ground running more than you normally would see when there's an overhaul like this, because I think he's trying to keep it as simple, simple and similar to what they've done in the past so that this can just be, you know, kind of an iteration of what they've done in the past rather than a full stop change from what they've done in the past. And so I, I think that part's really intriguing. A couple of things that stood out to me um, from a personnel perspective is and we actually just talked about this player on our most recent show on Friday is Brian Addison. You know, yeah. we, we thought he was playing corner. Um, I asked he's moved again. <laughs> he's moved again. The guy is, he's on the move. Um, it's funny because I don't, I went and listened to Cristobal. Cristobal said he was playing defense full time, but didn't specify which part of the defense. And the roster on Godux suggests he's playing corner. So I thought he was playing corner. And I asked him to Ruder, and Ruder said he's actually playing safety. Um, and that that's a probably more of a natural fit for him, is what he said. So Brian Addison, a player that we were kind of talking about, hey, that could be interesting if he could fit in that corner. He's actually playing safety. And I actually think for the same reason, that's actually pretty interesting. Um, You've got Verone McKinley starting at one spot. I think that's pretty clear. And you've got Jamal Hill seemingly at the hybrid spot. And we have not heard, and this is maybe a question we have to ask Deruder or Cristobal or, or whoever the next coach who would be apt to answer this is, is where's Jamal Hill playing? But let's assume Hill's playing a similar position. That means maybe Addison is in line with the Steven, you know, Steve Stevens, Jordan Happel, Bennett Williams group at, at one of those types of spots. And could Addison be a really good sort of center fielder? on the back end of this defense at six, five. I mean, this was, I still remember, um, you know, the opening camp in the summer of 2018, I think it was where Addison just t- turned everyone's head back there. Um, you kind of, he came in and people thought he was more of a receiver and, and he left. Everybody was like, man, he's really good as just a long rangy, you know, safety. He's got great instincts back there. He was, it was seven on seven, so he wasn't, you know, making contact, but he was, you know, he was making plays in terms of stopping players with, you know, with touching players and, and you know, for the tackle. I, I, I kind of wonder about the fit there. I think Brian Addison's really an intriguing part of this defense, and I know, I know he's first-year defense. He's been playing offense at Oregon, but this is a top, you know, former top 75 caliber recruit who, when he arrived on campus, people thought was going to make some impacts, and I know he did a little bit at receiver. I'm really intrigued with him at safety um, just because of, I think, as Druder says, maybe it's a better fit. And, and boy, does he provide some physical um, skill sets and opportunities that, frankly, you just don't have very frequently with a 6'5 guy back there. It's, it's certainly interesting because he was recruited to play safety at UCLA. And yep. he was a highly – I think he was a top 100 guy off the top of my head. And yeah. from, from an athlete perspective, offense or defense – when he couldn't get into UCLA from an admission standpoint, he then enrolled at Oregon and Oregon at the time, if I remember correctly, they had Javon Holland. They had Ugo Amadi. They had Verone McKinley. Um, they had Brady Breeze. They had Nick Pickett. Safety was loaded. They did not need another safety and Oregon's receiver room was completely gutted whether it was hits whether guys not you know producing whether it was guys that didn't get into school or recruiting misses 
Oregon's receiver room was lacking bodies. It was uh, Dylan Mitchell. It was Jalen Red. It was Johnny Johnson. Um, and I think that was about it from a, a standpoint. Like they had three guys and it, it was, oh boy, can, can, can you find anybody to be your fourth or your fifth option at receiver? And Addison played in four games. They preserved his red shirt because he, he showed up so late in the year. And then 2019, it was similar. Like Juwan Johnson was supposed to be a big-time guy for Oregon. Um, Micah Pittman was supposed to be a big-time guy for Oregon. But both guys suffered fall camp injuries. And, you know, there, there were, you know, and, and their impact was severely, you know, limited because of injuries not not to their fault of their own we're not i'm not blaming either of them but oregon you know had this huge hole and addison kind of filled it in 2019 he had over 200 yards receiving he had a couple touchdowns Uh, i think he had like averaging a, a catch per game so it was a guy that was like hey here we go and then in 2020 when you know some more talent came into the program but Nonetheless, Addison was – we were thinking Addison would be like a starter and a guy that would go for 400, 500 yards in a seven-game, eight-game season. Um, and he didn't. And so now all of a sudden the safety spot is flipped from when he arrived. Like it was so loaded they, that he would just be wasting over there because he yeah. wouldn't have been playing. And two years later, it's like they need bodies and it, it makes a, a, a good fit for him. And I'm curious to see kind of, you know, how quickly he, can he adapt and what kind of an impact could Oregon expect from it? That part is interesting. Another guy we haven't seen in the secondary at all, who it sounds like is making some impressions is Dante Manning. Um, Deruder said something very similar to what Mario Cristobal said about Dante Manning, former five-star recruit, best defensive back recruit Oregon's ever landed. Didn't play last year because of injury and Cristobal raved about this kid's skill set a couple of days ago and here's what Deruder said Dante now watch him go out there and run he's got a different gear than most guys getting him in the mix and not dinged up that's been fun to watch as well so you know I think it kind of feels like it's Mikhail Wright at one spot and Dante Manning and DJ James at the other and one thing that Cristobal said about James is he's changed his body Again, we're not at practice. We don't have official weights and heights yet. They haven't changed those right. from last fall yet, I don't think. Um, I'll be curious to see what it means that James has changed, you know, that James has changed his body. Because, I mean, he was admittedly somebody who, who was pretty lean, wasn't particularly filled out. Maybe that will be something that will sort of change the, you know, the complexion of, of that position battle. But I still think, and I might be proven wrong here, but I still think that a healthy Dante Manning and his talent. And you've heard about the speed and the athleticism here. When he reaches his potential, it's going to be really hard to keep off the field. And I think the fortunate thing for Oregon is they know that that could be in 2021 or 2022. And either way, Manning is likely to start. 2021, if, if Manning's not ready, you've got DJ James, who everybody seems to be really high on um, as somebody who can fill in and be the starter there. And the following year, Mikhail Wright goes pro. DJ James is one of the starters. And now Dante Manning can step forward and be the other one. So I think you've kind of actually sneaky got a little bit of like a contingency plan here for, 
for the corner position group and that you can, in theory, see a DJ James-Dante Manning duo in the future for a couple of years after Mikhail Wright goes pro and that you could see either one of them be the second corner behind Mikhail Wright in 2021. So that's kind of how I'm seeing that. Um, Drew Ritter was also complimentary of Jalen Davies. Um, and then at, at safety, um, Damon David had some really nice things to say about him. Kind of the overarching thing that DeRuiter said about the defense and kind of making any assessments on the players is that, hey, it's been two practices. None of them are in pads. They're running around in, you know, basically helmets and T-shirts and shorts. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to draw anything because none of these practices are particularly physical. There's not live hitting or tackling. So um, I think we'll get a better feel the next time we speak with DeRuiter, which I would guess will be sometime in the next week or two of kind of what the development has been there. He had similar things to say about the defensive line. Um, mentioned that he thought Popo, Amave, and Brand Dorless looked good so far. Um, and then also highlighted the play of Christian Williams and Keon War Hudson. So th- those four guys seem to be kind of pretty clearly, I think pretty clearly the, the top four on, you know, on the defensive line. And then it's just kind of working around and kind of figuring out what the rest of it looks like. And I do think... Um, it's going to be interesting to see how all of that shakes out. But I think those four are probably the players to know there along with Kayvon. And, you know, shoot, maybe Kayvon is going to be just primarily a stand-edge rusher. And if that's the case, those four guys are competing for three spots rather than two. I did find it interesting that DeRuiter talked a lot about how um, outside linebackers are going to need to know how to play inside. Inside are going to have to play outside. Um, he also talked a lot about Noah being a guy that they're going to you know, bring up to the line of scrimmage and play off the edge, almost like a defensive end uh, type of a player. So it feels like from a front seven perspective, like we don't really know yet where all the guys are going to fit in, but we do know it feels like from the front seven, at least there could be some shuffling. There could be some movement. Um, and it could be from the from a disguise standpoint. It could be um, from a you know, creating mismatch standpoint, down and distance type thing. Like if it's if it's third and eighteen or third and twelve, and you know that your opponent is going to have to throw the football, and a sack could either force them to punt or could maybe you know take them out of field goal range where now they have to go for it on fourth down or what have you. Um, you could see a Noah Sewell be bumped from playing inside linebacker. You, you pull off a, a defensive lineman and you put Sewell in his spot. And now all of a sudden you've got more speed uh, up front because you don't have to worry about the, 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 the run and you can maybe get a better uh, coverage guy out there as well in place of Sewell's spot at linebacker. So it feels like they're going to be doing some shuffling and some, you know, disguising, which, and we don't know yet where the you know, guys are going to fit because you're right, like pads aren't on yet. And you know, right now it's all just learning your your, your spots and, and, and whatnot. But it feels like that could be a big thing for this front seven is a lot of versatility up front. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that, that, that was probably the thing that stood out most was just how much they kind of intend to – in the past they've said cross-training. What do you say, job swapping was the yeah. term they're using now. They're basically identical um, – phrases or nomenclature but um and again i guess it has to do with the concept of hey you're going to have new you know terminology and phraseology with different coordinators because that was a 
Andy Avalos term. And now this is a Tim Druder term. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, the fallout of all this. And I think the other part in terms of like having players move around a little bit is Druder hasn't seen this in person. You know, he's new here and he wants to get a feel for during the spring and I'm sure into the fall. You know, if you toss player X into, you know, situation, whatever, how does player X respond? Does he handle it well? And would player Y or Z be a better fit there? And I think that's the kind of stuff they're trying to figure out. And I think obviously he looks at this group and I think anybody objectively wants to look at Oregon's front seven and especially some of the edge and linebacker talent. And you go, there are so many NFL caliber guys and we've got to find ways to maximize them get the most, you know, most of them on the field at once as possible, get them in positions to be impactful. And that's not to say Andy Avalos failed to do that, but I'm sure DeRuiter is going, if we can, and the two of us actually mentioned this, but like, if you can get a scenario where you've got like, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau's playing out there with Justin Flo, you know, uh, Adrian Jackson and Noah Sewell, suddenly you've just got incredible athletes and speed out there in a way that not a lot of teams nationally, you know, that's like an SEC caliber linebacking core i'm not saying it's not that when you don't have certain other players out there but like from an athleticism perspective you could put together some groups that are just absolutely nasty and i think that's what you're going to see with tim drew this is a linebacker coach by trade this is where his you know this is where he makes his money is developing these types of guys and i think we're going to see over the next year and for some of these guys a couple two to three years because they've got eligibility that allows it really develop into some really, really high-end, talented guys, and the mix and matching of it, I think, could be really fun to watch. And Will, you know, as Derrida says, he wants to keep it simple, the matching for his guys, but make it look complicated for the opposition. And I think you're going to be able to see a group that can throw a lot of different looks at opposing teams, um, depending on what they want to do. And I think that's kind of, again, so early here. I mentioned the term earlier. Like, this is kind of the skeleton of kind of what I think you're seeing develop um, for Oregon's defensive front seven is, is kind of just that mix and match. You find, you know, you find some big personnel guys, you find some small personnel guys, you have different groupings, different packages, and you just make the most out of everything you can. It's going to do it for us here uh, on the Austin Audible's podcast. We'll have more breaking down this Oregon defense and Tim DeRuiter and the, the, the style and the changes and the scheme that they're doing. Um We'll have more on the offensive side of the football as well here in the next couple of weeks. Spring football has had two practices, uh, and they will have their third on April 6th, a Tuesday. And then I believe after that, they put the pads on. And they will wrap up spring football with their spring game May 1st. Still waiting word yet on if fans will be allowed into that venue or not. But nonetheless, spring football and spring game is quickly approaching. We're less than a month away, and we'll break it all down here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. And until then, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.